Praise the Lord, man. Do you believe that? Come on, man. We can't be singing these things, man. Praise, <laughs> praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That's right, man. And so, so, so welcome to the church, amen. And we, and we are going to continue that story, man. This is a crazy day and a very much needed message. I truly believe uh, that we uh, don't talk about this enough, man. And, uh, and I, think, I think we need to get into this. But we need to pray first. Because this is, because this, we need to pray. Amen? Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> praise the Lord. And so, Father, praise you, Lord God. We worship you, Lord God. Father of, of heavens, Lord God, of earth, Lord God, of universe, of everything, even the things that we cannot even see or name, Lord God. You are the God of all things. You created all these things, Lord God. You command on this little tiny planet, you command the wind, Lord God, which seems so big to us. You command, Lord God, the weather that just drives us crazy or makes us feel really good, Lord God. You command all things, Lord God, because you are ruler and sovereign and king above all. You are the most high in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Can you agree with that? Hallelujah. And so now we could pray because we got the, we, you know, so Father, we just pray in the name of Christ that you would lead us and you would guide us. This is your story, Lord God. And so we need your spirit to understand your story. Lord God, we're your people. Lord God, and we need help looking at you. In Jesus' name, we give you praise. Amen. Amen. And so that is a pretty amazing story. Uh, and uh, and it's in, if, you, if you want to ever look at it, it's in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. And, um, and you know, just to kind of catch you up to speed into that story, you see, Jesus was, was kicking back. He was hanging at the temple, and people were coming around, and he was teaching at the temple there in Jerusalem, all right? And, and people would come like this, man. They would come and listen to him teach, and, and I would have been there with you guys just watching him teach, man, and it was kind of crazy. But, but on the other side of town, there was this, this something crazy taking place, and there was kind of a rumbling just coming through the streets as these Pharisees, these religious leaders, all right, had this person, had this human being, had this, 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 this creation of God, all right, with them, and just dragging her along, half-dressed, who knows what she looked like, all right, but as they were going through the town, they were picking up rocks, they were picking up stones, and how, what would you have done if you have saw them walking with her through the streets and seen, knowing what's about to take place, they're getting ready to stone this woman, they're getting ready to commit a execution on this woman for a crime, quote unquote, against God, all right? And because you know this, all right, you don't want to be kind of ostracized from the community, so you got to pick up a stone too, right? But wait a second, some of us have seen this woman before. Some of us have recognized her in the, in the marketplace. Some of us have smelt her perfume. Some of us may have looked at her in a way that we shouldn't have looked at her, but yet here we are picking up a stone, walking through the town, walking with the crowd and here they go and they're just following them along and I don't know what your rock looks like but it feels probably pretty good in your hand and then all of a sudden you get to the temple and you're like man these guys are serious they're doing this right in front of the temple and then just throw her in front of this guy who they're calling the teacher they're calling rabbi they're calling Jesus and they throw him in front of her and there you are the Pharisees and their long phylacteries are all, they're looking all sharp and whatever, and right? And they got their rocks. And they throw this woman in front of the teacher. 
And there he is, and she is in front of the teacher and in, and in front of the crowd in this, in, this, in this little empty space standing alone. And they say, they say, teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. She was doing this. We caught her in the act. First question, how did you do that? Why? There's something more to the story here, boys. They caught her in the act. And you're listening to this. Ooh, she's in trouble, man. You got your rock. Some of you may be just kind of moving it around your hands. Some might be switching hands, all right? Some of you might feel kind of guilty because you have this rock because you know. You know your life. And they just threw him in front of her. And they said that the, the, the law says that we should stone this woman to death. And she should die right here, right now. What do you say, teacher? The only one without a rock. I love that song. The only one that didn't have a stone in his hand. They said, what do you say? John chapter eight, verse seven, verse six says this, verse six. They said this to test him. Wait a second, this is all a test? They said this to test him, that they might bring a charge against him. And Jesus just bent down on the ground and just started just kind of writing in the ground. What blows me away is that, is that this was a test. They're using a human being, all right, in such a crazy time. They're, they're taking a life of a human to test this person. These religious leaders used another human being as an object of their own satisfaction. Sound familiar? Imagine the thought, maybe a thought that might have gone through Christ's mind, maybe some people in the crowd might have thought the same. You're going to use this woman for your satisfaction. Your use of this woman is no better than the one who helped you frame her. Think about it, man, because this had to be a setup. Nothing was said. And they continued to ask him in verse 7. And they said, he stood up and he said to them, all right. <laughs> the one of you, man, is here. Well, whoever is here who has no sin, throw your rock. Throw your stone. Just throw it. Because you're in the crowd, man. You're in the crowd. Now, now, would you find yourself basically, you know, okay, that's me. Is anybody here would say, that's me? I'm throwing it. No sin. Nobody. And he got down and started <laughs> riding on the ground again, man. Look at verse nine. This is, this is amazing to me. Because when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone, all alone with, with the woman standing before him. It blows me away that it doesn't say that they dropped their stone. This stone was a witness against them. The stone that they carried in their hand was a witness that says, you too are guilty. 
But it was also on the other side said, no, I'm not. I picked up this stone because I want to follow this law, this routine. They didn't say that anybody dropped their stone, but quietly they walked away still with their stone, man. They should have just dropped it, right? They should have just said, ah. But everybody walked away quietly, quietly with their stone. How many of us are still holding that stone? How many of us are still holding our rock? Jesus stood up. And he saw the woman in front of him. And so where they go? Is anybody here to condemn you? Anybody left? Look what she says. She says, no one, Lord. No. No. Finally, she was able to say no. She had been saying yes her whole life. And now she had the opportunity to say no. She was leaning into a better yes, which is amazing. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, he looked right at her. Imagine Jesus confronting you and every bit of your sin. I said, who's there to condemn you? He says, I don't know. I'm right here in front of you, Lord. And he says, I don't condemn you. But I won't. But from now on, stop saying yes to this. And don't just say no. Say yes to me. I'm the better yes. He gave her a better yes. He saw the person before he saw the sin. And too many times we're taught that all he could see is my sin. He sees the person before he sees the sin. Do you understand this? We're going to talk about something kind of crazy right now. And you're going to say, all he could see is my sin. Recognize there's hope. All right. He sees you before he sees the sin. So there is hope. The same hope that she had. All right. Because he knew. All right. How she had to grow into that life. It wasn't something that you just come out of the womb and that's the life you choose. All right. We grow into these lives. He knew what caused her to say yes. He knew. All right. How she felt she had to say yes. Yes, all right? But she walked away with a new life, a renewed life, a forgiven life that isn't just forgiven, but is a life that is to be continually renewed. She walked away with a better yes. Here's what I know. <laughs> Are you ready for this? <laughs> Everyone here, me, you, all of us, have dealt with sexual sin. Either we've dealt with it or we're dealing with it right now. And if you say you haven't, well, you're also dealing with another problem. It's called lying. <laughs> okay? 
<laughs> right? The series is called Uncontrolled. And I love this because as much as we claim control over our life, it's easy to allow ourselves to be controlled by life. Quite often, life gets very controlling. And I want to talk about being not controlled, uncontrolled by sexual sin. Not controlled by it. A life in Christ will not be controlled by anything outside of Christ. Do you recognize that? It took years for me to find a better yes. It took years for me to find a better yes, mainly because I wasn't looking for a better yes. I grew up as a child exposed over and over again to sexual sin. It wasn't something I went looking for. It was something that seemed to have found me somehow. And then I responded as a kid seeing these magazines in the bathroom as a little kid, looking in these magazines, starting to get curious. I remember when I was 11 years old, 11 years old, me and my cousin, Ralphie, our uncles took us on a road trip. We were supposed to go to the Grand Canyon. We went there for about 10 minutes, but we ended up here, way up here in Northern Arizona on a reservation. Um, hanging out with some friends that my uncle and them knew. Hey, stayed there for a couple of days. It was awesome, man. We're riding bareback horses and we're riding calves and having some fun like 11-year-olds should. A couple of days later, we wake up and my uncles are gone. And I ask, where's my uncle going? And we were told that we were traded. Me and my cousin were traded for some girls. This is a true story. I've never told you guys this. We were traded for some girls. And basically, we were collateral that they would bring the girls back. And they were gone for another day. And we found out through some people that they went to a powwow in Flagstaff. And believe it or not, me and my cousin, 11 years old, we hitchhiked the 40 all the way to Flagstaff. 11-year-olds, two 11-year-olds. By God's grace, we made it there. <laughs> And we, in Flagstaff, I, don't, I can't tell you how, but we found the powwow. Actually, I think it was at the college. We found the powwow. And that night, we couldn't find my uncles. And we slept on the ground that night and woke up to a drunk man trying to molest us. 11 years old. We took off. Got out of there. Ran, scared. 11-year-olds don't know where to go. That morning, we ran into our uncles. It was different. 12 years old, I'm working in a donut shop. Actually, I think it was 13. It was my first job. Working in a donut shop. I thought, this is great. I get to see how donuts are made. I get to have all the donuts I want. It was pretty awesome. Turned my friends on some donuts at the back door. <laughs> I was a local donut dealer. <laughs> ah, <laughs> right? Until the owner tried messing with me again. Tried messing with me, man. Backed up out of there, split, took off running. I was like, what am I doing, man, that is attracting this kind of attention? Because that's the first thought. As a kid, what am I doing wrong? 
14 years old, man, 14 years old, finally fully molested by a full-grown woman. Scared out of my mind. I don't know what to think about that. That became my life and what I thought. I thought that was supposed to be my yes. Yeah, I'm in. I follow that pattern of thinking when it came to sex for the next 20 years. I thought that was supposed to be my yes. No didn't fit. Saying yes to sex was just the way I grew to understand life. So I found a better yes. I'm here to tell the truth, man. I'm here to tell the truth. I'm not trying to press you with any stories. These are stories I don't want to tell. You just go around, hey, man, I'm going to tell you about these things. You know? I'm here to tell you the truth because, because if, I, if we don't tell the truth about this, we're going to go on believing all the lies about this. Do you understand? And we're going to pass those lies on to our children and their children. Do you understand this? And we're going to find ourselves, all right, with our stone in our hand, trying to back out of the crowd quietly when people are recognizing our sin instead of dropping that stone. See, uncontrolled is freedom from the control of sexual sin. And we're, we're, we're going through Ephesians, and it's crazy, man. You know what I mean? How <laughs> God does this. All right, because, you know, we're, 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 we're going through the book of Ephesians verse by verse, kind of like we're taking chunks and chunks and kind of doing this. And it's crazy how this, uh, this shows up, you know, <laughs> it, it, it just shows, and you got to deal with it. I love going through a book of the Bible because you got to deal with it. You have, to, you have to just deal with it, man. It's a trip how we approach, we're all approaching this season of giving, right? And we're hit with this topic, right? This topic is one of the deepest forms of taking. So let's think about that. And Ephesians chapter five is where we're at. If you want to open there, where else we're going to be for a minute. We're going to go through five verses. It's all it's going to take for this, all right? And it begins, the actual first couple of verses begins with the better yes, with the better yes, all right? And it shows, you know, it shows, and then it's going to show how just saying no to these things isn't good enough. And you know, so, so I'm looking at this and I got to remind myself because it's real easy to take these verses and project them on the world around us. God right, sent this scripture for Christians. This is for men and women of God, all right, to own these verses, to own what he's saying to us here. This is, this is his standard for us. This is where he's leading us. But he begins beautifully. In chapter five, verse one, he says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. He says, he, you know, this, this, this is our point of reference for identity. If you're struggling to figure out who you are or who you need to be, he lays it down right here. God is our example. He says, be imitators of God. Well, how do I find out what that looks like? He shares right here, just look at Jesus. Open the scriptures, take a look at Jesus. Look at him, verse two. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. You see, love is the intention. 
Love is the intention right here, man. And here's what we gotta remember. Our, our daily lives are meant to be the expression of that intention. You understand? Love is the intention. He says, walk in love as Christ gave himself, loved us and gave himself up for us. That's the intention to walk in love as Jesus. Now, the, the expression of that is where we get caught up. We wanna move beyond the attention, all right? We sometimes even want to ignore the intention and only experience the expression. Sometimes we can give a rip about the intention. And man, all we want is the expression. The expression. Expression before intention will always get you into problems. Will always get us into problems. Let me just tell you, man, sex was intended to be a wedding gift from God. Did you know that? That's what, that's what sex was intended. And that is and this is a pretty dang good gift, all right? But it was intended to be a wedding gift from God. He always gives the best gifts. But it wasn't to be opened until after the wedding. Because that is when, if truly expressed in love, or experienced in love, it is expressed best. You ever, anybody here ever, Get, find out yeah, Christmas, right? You ever open up your presents before Christmas without your parents knowing just to see what it is, then wrap it up again, put it back under the tree. You know what it is, all right? But now when it comes Christmas, all right, your family's feeling really good about handing you this gift. They're feeling really, really awesome about handing you this gift, all right? And you already know what it is, but you have to act surprised. Oh, oh, whoa. Oh, it never worked for me. I was never really a good actor. You opened this, didn't you? Uh, no. <laughs> yes, I did. It kind of ruins the idea, doesn't it? When we move right into an expression and we lose sight of intention, we end up expressing ourselves, quote unquote, in places and with people that we wish we never had. but there's hope, okay? And I want to get to that. And the hope is the better yes. Okay, I want to get to that. But we need to kind of deal with a few things here and we just need to open this up. Chapter, verse three. Well, after he says, be imitators of God and walk as Christ, he's telling the church this. Verse three. Sexual immorality which is basically sexual acts that are morally offensive and, and sex at the cost of yourself and at the cost of others. Sex without commitment and love and the depth of pursuit of one another. Sex without the commitment to, to wed and to be married. He says sexual immorality and, and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper of the saints. Again, he says this, this idea of sexual immorality. Again, it says sex at the cost of others. Have you, have you anybody here have heard of the hookup culture that's kind of growing trend in colleges right now across the country? Nobody wants to admit it? Okay. Um, <laughs> there's, this, there's, this, there's this trend 
that is taking place in colleges across America, maybe across the world, and it is literally called the hookup culture. You can look up hookup culture you know, and just search it, and there's going to be all kinds of stuff on it because it's really, really happening right now. Right? And it's this growing trend in colleges that, that, that students have to be casual about sex because they're so extremely busy, because their schedule is just so jam-packed that college students feel that, that the hookups are their only option. And, 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 and the, the official social contract of the hookup, they have an official social contract. And it's just three things. The official social contract of the hookup is number one, anything from kissing and sex. Anything from kissing to sex. It is anything from kissing to sex. Number two, it must be brief. This is, we're not talking about a a foregone relationship. This is just one night stands, one night stands, one night stands. And number three, zero emotion so you don't get attached. This is actually a norm that is taking, the norms that are taking place that are happening right now with our young adults, all right? And it's just happening across the world. It's a growing, growing trend. This is really happening. And the stats are showing that they're not really, the damage that it's leaving is not really that great. Almost half of the students involved, 41% of the students involved when interviewed, so they're not really having, this is not really leaving them feeling very happy. As a matter of fact, it's leaving them feeling very damaged. Even men are saying this. The guys are even saying this. They're feeling used. They're feeling even in some cases abused. A lot of times, almost all the time, you'll see, and when you search hookup culture, you'll see different references. A lot of times, alcohol is extreme, is a huge amount of alcohol is, 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 is involved. And studies and interviews with these college students show that when, when, asked them, when asked about dating, that they say there is, no, there is not really any dating taking place. It's kind of rare because nobody has time for it. Our schedules are so packed. But the same studies, in the same interview, and then in the same breath, those who are being interviewed wished they could date, and actually probably would if asked. See, this is what I know, man. Both men and women, and men as well, I know this. Men and women yearn for romance. Both men and women wish for old-fashioned dating. They wish that, 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 that you know, there can be, because there's substance, there's depth in that. The greatest thing that ever happened to Debbie and I was me going to prison. Seriously. For a few years, <laughs> almost poured water all over my face. I got excited about it. Because um, we, we finally, I finally tracked her down, man. I finally got her. She finally slowed down enough for me to catch her. And I was like, woo all right? And within a month, I went to prison for a few years. It's the best thing that ever happened to us. Why? Because now we had to date. Now we were, we, we were engaged in conversations. We were writing one another. We were talking for, you know, hours on the phone. She would come in and visit, and we would spend a whole day today under the supervision of the California Department of Corrections. It was insane because they were very, very strict. This is the best thing that ever happened to us because I got to know her. Over a few years, man, we started asking questions we never would ask those first few months. And we got to know one another in a level. And then, and then we still liked each other after all that. That was crazy. 
But what a foundation for our marriage. He says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as proper from the saints, man. This idea of impurity is basically the concentration on and pursuit of sexual sins and even both physical and fantasy. And this covetousness is basically the sense of craving for someone else's body for self-gratification. We start worshiping as Christ, as the scriptures actually share in Romans, the creature rather than the creator. The creation rather than the creator. And we find ourselves caught up. This is where pornography makes all kinds of money from. From our impure concentration and for our craving for someone else's body. You know, one study showed, check this out, on one website, on one pornographic website, and I, I guess there are like millions of them, on just one, check this out, on one pornographic website, in one year, people consumed over 4.6 billion hours of pornography. That is 524,000 years 17,000 complete lifetimes in one year spent in front of the screen. In just one year. And they came back for more and keep coming back for more. What's crazy is in so many cases, you don't see the cost of those who are just used in this manner. You don't get to see the cost of those. They're just images on a screen in a magazine, or even worse, they're, they're slaves to a trade, all right, and, you know, used and abused and tossed out like trash when no longer useful. All for what? For what, man? I'm telling you, he's telling this to the church. We're here to make a difference. We're here to change the world. We're here to speak up about this. People say, when are you going to talk about sex trafficking? When are you going to talk about sex trafficking? How about, how about when are you going to do something about it? There was a lady in our church. There's a ministry going on down in Phoenix. I forgot it. But she came up here, her and her husband run a couple of ministries down in, in Phoenix and one in prison and one on the streets. And it's for sex trafficking. And they take a bus that is filled with clothing and stuff, all right? And they go out on the streets and they, and they, and they you know, and, and where this is happening. And they know a lot of this is happening. And they, they were telling me a story. One day they had this woman, this is just actually, I was talking, Debbie and I were out here talking to her and she shared this story just, you know, this just happened last week. And I guess this stuff happens a lot. They, they have these women get on the bus and they're looking at clothes and stuff like that. Well, the guys are outside and then when they're, and they're, and they're looking at the women saying, you know, they'll ask them while they're looking, do you guys need help? Do you need help? They're kind of fishing to see if they need to keep them on the bus. Well, this one woman got off the bus and then she, she, she said something to the guy. She, was, she got back on the bus. She says, please leave, leave, leave right now. Leave right now. Get me out of here. It's right here in Phoenix. And as they close the door of the bus, they start taking off. They, the guy was like, hey, hey, hey. He started banging on the side of the bus, pulled his gun out, started shooting at the bus as they were taking off. He was caught up in the sex trade. These people are doing something about it. There's still some really bad people out there, man. Right? What was crazy is there's so many good people that are helping them make a fortune out of doing bad things. 
What if the church stopped helping them do those things? It's estimated that over three quarters of men in the church are caught up in pornography. It's estimated that one, about one quarter of the women in church, in church, this is just a church, are caught up in pornography. Those are the numbers, man. What are we gonna do about it? We need a better yes. We need a better yes. I used to think that, 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 um, oh, never mind. <laughs> ah, see, I get caught up. I used to think that pornography was only a male problem, right? And it's just like I used to think that overeating was a human problem until I saw a fat German shepherd. So, um, yeah, <laughs> apparently it's across the board. Probably a bad place for a joke. Anyways, um. There's hope. There's hope. All right? There's hope. But he goes on, man. He said, wait, 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 wait. Let there be no filthiness. Look at verse four. Or foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Basically, he's talking, he's saying, he's, this is progression. Uh, he said, dirty minds lead to dirty talk, which leads to dirty joking. And you know what? I had to come, I had to make a choice, man. When I was, uh, years ago, when I was working, in, I was working down in, in Tucson, and I was a mechanic, and I would sit there at the mechanic's table, and some stuff would start getting said, and these jokes would be said. I'd have my Bible out, and I'd just be reading the scriptures, man, and I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm renewing, I'm renewing, I'm renewing, pursuing Christ, trying to leave a better example. And these stories would start going on, and these jokes would start taking place. And then all of a sudden, I started getting accused, like, what, do you think you're better than us? I had to come up with something. No, man, you're just not funny. There it is. And you know, I handle that. Like, why aren't you laughing at these jokes? Because they're not funny. You're not funny. We got to, we got, and that, that changed the atmosphere because not too long after that, uh, they wouldn't, sh- those, those jokes started to just kind of, they just weren't there. Not because of me, but because of the vessel, all right, that carried the spirit of the Lord into that break room. And Jesus was sitting at that table. Not me, Jesus in me. Jesus in you will be sitting at that table. Jesus in you will be in that crowd. And when those stories start to be shared, dudes, you know what? You don't laugh. Everybody else can laugh all they want. Do your thing, man. I'm responsible for this vessel. And when I ain't laughing, they ask you, and they ask you, why, you, why ain't you laughing? Just tell them straight up. Tell them straight up. You ain't funny, Holmes. He says, don't even joke about this. John Stott says, this is the cheapest form of wit. Look at verse five. You may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous or an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Now, the operative word here is, is we look at this and we think, wait a second, we're all done done. Because like I said, every one of us have dealt with this. He says, no, the, the operative word is everyone who is all right, who are currently, who, who, who currently are and who remain unrepentantly engaged. 
Uh, somebody said this, and I kind of changed it a little bit. I'll put this up there. When it, when it comes to success in fighting porn, and not just porn, but, but sexual sin in, in itself, it happens when a person looks away, not because of shame, not because there's a no right there, but because we have such a high value of humanity that it's impossible to even get aroused, all right, from that exploitation of human beings, from their exploitation. We have a better yes. Then it's not just about saying no. We have a better yes. There is a better yes. Change your life and you will change the world. You understand that? Change your life and you will change the world. And what do I mean? Let me just make this a little more clear. What do I mean by better yes? Okay, we're not that far from a pretty crazy desert, all right? And in the summertime, it's rough. And you probably can't last very long in that, in that desert without water. You can't last very long anywhere without water. But imagine you're walking through the desert and there's nowhere, in, no town in sight, nobody in sight. You have no water. You're walking through the desert and all of a sudden, you see a toilet filled with water. And you know there's no water, man. Would you drink that water? For life, you probably would. I would. I would guzzle that water. I would drink that dang water because if I'm dying of thirst and there is water, I'm getting that water. Right? You'd say yes to that water. Now, here, we live up here in the mountains. For the most part, we have some pretty good water coming right out of the tap, right? Now, how many of you when getting up to get a drink of water, walk by the bathroom and go, ooh, I'm so tempted. Hmm. I'm so tempted. There's water in there. Mm, I want some more. Ooh, don't look. Don't look. Don't look. I'm not going to look. No, there is a better yes over here, right? Yeah, you can stick your head in the toilet and drink it. My dog tries to do it all the time. You can do that. Right? Or you can have a better yes. It's not just saying no to the toilet water. It's saying yes, all right, to the tap water. Amen? Jesus says, get your head out of the toilet. I got fresh tap right here, ready and available for you. Amen? Come on, where you at? The collateral damage that sexual sin brings needs to be noticed. I love Jefferson Bethgeck. I'm not quite sure that I say his name, but he says there's the death to intimacy, true life-giving intimacy, vulnerability, that confident and secure nakedness of the soul before another human being. You see, that's what God always intended. That was the intention that we wipe aside and just try to get into that expression where you see the depth of another person. You see all that they are, and you still say, I'm yours. I'm not going anywhere. Being fully known and fully loved at the same time. You see, I know my wife loves me. How do I know that? Because she knows me completely. That's a big deal. That's intimacy. That's intention before the expression. That's a better yes. Sexual sin cannot give you that great yes. So what do I want you to do? 
drop your stone, man. Drop your rock. And as Christ said, go and sin no more. Pursue a better yes. Instead of just saying no to that sin, say yes. And I want you to begin. Now, I've got four things I want you to take with you. I want you to begin with, number one, I want you to, this requires repentance. And sometimes, most often, daily repentance because we're daily bombarded. Repent. Begin with whatever you created, all right, and then move on to what you have allowed. We create things by pursuing things. We allow things by not turning them off. Psalms 51, verses 1 through 10, all right? You should write that down. I'm going to give it to you again here in a minute. But, but, but pursue that. That is a psalm that is written by, the, by, by King David. King David, he wrote this after he was confronted with his own sexual sin. He saw a woman taking a bath, all right? He said, I want that woman. He didn't, he saw her. You can't do a lot about what you see, but when you just focus on it and focus on it and say, go get her, all right? Now there's a problem. He went and got her, took her into his bed, had her husband killed, took her. Psalms 51, he says, against you, Lord, and only you have I sinned. He repented of this sin and said, you know what? Yes, he spoke it. I did this. And I did it against you before I did it against her, her husband, my family, whatever. He repented. He says, restore this brokenness. I love verse 10. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me, a steadfast spirit within me. Help me with a better yes. Repent. Number two, give, all right? Giving is better than taking. Giving is a better yes. Instead of trying to go around and see what you can take from here and from here and you can get, you can get, you can get, you can get what satisfies your flesh, what satisfies you. Instead, what can you give? Giving is better than taking. Freedom, giving freedom from expectations, all right? Giving freedom by, by, by not pouring in, not opening up that website, giving, uh, you, know, <clears throat> you know, encouragement, finding that woman that everybody's holding a stone up against, all right, and leading her to a better yes, give. Finding that man that everybody's holding a stone against and lead him to a better yes. Giving is better than taking. Be vulnerable. Vulnerability is better than hiding. Confess, admit, bring some accountability into your life. Men, bring some men who will hold you accountable. Women, bring some women who will hold you accountable. Be thankful. Because Thanksgiving is better than pretending, amen? I want you to take these verses, Ephesians chapter five, verse one through five, Psalms 51 verses, read the whole Psalm. I want you to check our work here today. I want you to check yours. I want you to trust his. And I want you to know above all things that there's hope. There's hope with a better yes. All right, there's hope with a better yes. And, and, and we want to lead you 
in that better yes. We want to bless you in that better yes. You see, often in the scriptures, you'll see these, these benedictions in the Old Testament to these prayers where there would be a blessing upon the people. Because right now, it's easy to feel completely condemned. But Jesus is standing before you and say, where are your accusers? And you may say, they're still around me. He says, well, guess what? I'm greater than any of them. You may be saying, well, um, you're looking at my main accuser. It's me. Well, I'm greater than you, he says. And I don't condemn you because he sees the person before he sees the sin. So may we bless you. And when we sing this song right now, I, I want you to receive it as well as sing it. You know, sing it if you want, man. But, but, but right now, stand up with us. Come on, stand up with us right now.